Hey there, friend. Chances are, if you're listening to the Inventory Genius podcast, it's because, well, you really want to become an inventory genius. If that's you, then let's stop just listening. Let's stop just collecting information. Let's start doing. I want to invite you to grab your copy of the Inventory Genius book. I wrote this book with you in mind. It delivers bite-sized actionable steps that will help you use your inventory to create more profit and keep more cash in your business. This is a really easy to read book. In fact, I designed it specifically for the busy inventory-based business owner. It only takes about two hours to make your way through and you're gonna leave with practical bite-sized steps so you can start implementing the principles of the Inventory Genius Method immediately. Head on over to sierrastockland.com where you can grab your ebook, your audible version, or the printed copy. Enjoy. Hey friend, welcome to the Inventory Genius Podcast, where we work together here to make you an inventory genius. We talk about profit, we talk about cash flow, and we definitely talk about your paycheck. Because at the end of the day, it's all related to your inventory. Let's go. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Inventory Genius Podcast. I am your host, Sierra. And today I'm back here with Kristen. We have part two of our really awesome interview series. Um, we had only planned on one, part a part one, but then you guys know, because you listened last week, I just kept talking and she kept answering all the things. And I just wanted to keep picking her brain or tapping into her genius, as one of my friends says, tapping into her genius. Um, and so I brought her back to chat with you. So hello again. Hello again. Hey. I'm excited to be okay. back. So you have a coaching program. You have an amazing new brand that you're launching like today. So this week. So um, in case someone just, this is the first time they're listening to Inventory Genius or they missed last week, why don't you reintroduce yourself? Okay. I can officially unveil. So my name is Kristen Fisher. So I am the founder of the gift box brand Boku at Shop Boku. And so I've been doing that for about five and a half years. And I also have an extensive corporate retail background as a buyer. I've bought for major brands like Urban Outfitters and Land's End and American Eagle, a bunch of places. And um, I left my corporate world in, I don't know, 2021. So a couple of years ago to go full time with Boku, I was able to scale that profitably. I could pay myself an amazing moment in my life. And I realized that I missed working with other brands to help them get into those big stores. Cause I was like, you know, on the forefront of those conversations with brands pitching me and I decided to start doing coaching. So I was doing that just kind of as a fun side thing. It's still very fun, but I realized that I could make a bigger impact if I started to be a little bit more strategic about it. And with what we're going to talk about today, just how to really balance my time to be able to put the right amount of effort into both things. So I am officially launching Kristen Fisher coaching. I have my own podcast, but what's really exciting that I'm launching today is the rebrand of the podcast. So it's the buyer side chat podcast. So if you listened to last week, if you have not yet, actually go back and listen to it because we had such a good conversation. I was so lit up after that call, but I talk about the product to profit podcast. So it's officially a new name and I'm really having more buyer conversations because I love profit, but I also love the buying and yeah. how the profit ties into that. So it's really like digging into that zone of genius that I'm obsessed with talking about. So that's my like quick little nutshell of a change from the last yeah. week's episode. So thanks well, for letting me talk about And that. I think you're right. Like product to 
product to profit is good, but it's so formal. Yeah. Fireside chat is just cute. Like it's a fun play on words. Plus, like I just want to sit there. Like, right? Because most of us, if we're an inventory-based business owner, um, especially if we're in like small retail, we love the buying. Like we get into it for the buying. And so let's talk buying, right? Let's have a buyer side chat. It's so great. So awesome. So everybody needs to listen and give Kristen some love on Instagram and over on her podcast. So I brought you back today because I want to talk about something. I don't think I've ever talked to a guest about this. I've brought it up a few times myself, but like having a conversation with a guest on saying no to good opportunity, learning how to edit. So you're the first one I ever heard mention that term, which now I've used multiple times, by the way. <laughs> I try to credit you because I'm like, I'm not that smart. Oh, so thank you. This, but it's really good. Um, And we were talking about it in regards to like picking and choosing inventory. So being a really good editor of our inventory. But I think it's a, it's so much deeper. It's like of opportunity. Sometimes that manifests itself in the inventory, but opportunity in our business. It's really hard for entrepreneurs to be an editor in their business to say no to good opportunities. So give me some thoughts and let's chat. I mean, the power of the edit is like one of my favorite things to abide by. It's one of my top rules in my business (laughs) for myself, because if you don't stay true to that core principle, I should call it, then you can really get off the rails. And it's not, like you said, it's not just inventory. It's not just saying, okay, I'm going to edit this product out of my line and I'm going to, you know, fine. I won't bring in that item I want to bring in. I'm going to edit it out. It goes so much deeper than that. It's, you know, like you said, it's opportunities. It, it can tie into the things that you're doing in your business. When you're a doer in your business, what can you edit out? What can you outsource? What can you completely get rid of? Like we could talk about that. Um, and also just looking at the future opportunities. I think a lot of us are here because we're dreamers and editing out all your ideas. That's another thing. So there's so many different ways we can take this. Which way do you want to go? Let's go there. We'll just, well, let's through. talk about, because we talk a lot of numbers here. Yeah. Let's talk about how numbers mm-hmm. will be your BFF in the editing okay. process, because okay. when you were a corporate buyer, were you emotionally attached to your buys or was it easier when you didn't own the company to say like, this makes the good, this is the good financial, this is going to get me a commission or a bonus. Okay. I love this question. It's a mix mix because so first of all, I mean, if I could have that purse to buy out of all the time, (laughs) that, that American Eagle budget, like give me that all day. Um, there is intrinsically less emotion attached to something as a buyer for a big brand. But with that said, you work on that product or with that product for months and months and months and months from conception all the way through to markdown. By the time it's marked down, you're like, I, I my emotion is I don't want to see that product yeah. ever again in my life. <laughs> this is my emotion. Yeah. Uh, yeah, my emotion is goodbye. But um you know, the emotion can come if you're really passionate about something. So for me, the only times that I ever got really tied to it, first of all, was earlier in my career before I had that, I had kind of like sharpened that tool of being able to edit and take the emotion out of it. Um, But some examples would be if I really truly believed in a new idea or white space in my business and I had to really push for it. And so I would stand up in meetings with the executive team 
over and over again, pitching something and trying to convince, because you do a lot of selling, you're trying to sell okay. the room. You're trying to convince leadership to that the collection that you put together, the buys that you put together are going to make the most money for the company. They don't, they want it to all look good, but at the end of the day, they really want to make sure that you're driving profit in the business. But if I was like, but I have to have this sweater, this, this sweater with this beautiful pattern, like this is it. That is when I'd get emotionally tied into something. But what's kind of interesting is I think it's really, the buyers have a little bit of emotion. The design team, if you're not buying from brands, if you're buying from in-house, completely a vertical company, your designers are extremely passionate and emotional yeah. about the product, which is like a maker would be, you know, so I really yeah. can identify when I'm working with a client who's a maker that has their own brand because it's like your baby, you birthed that out of yeah. your brain. How you could know? nobody love this? And how, how could nobody love not? this? It's yeah. like the most beautiful sweater. And I'm like, yeah, but last year. I had a sweater that had a similar color palette or that fit didn't work in the spring line. So it's not going to, you know, it, it's kind of the buyer being the guy, the guardrails, but then the person that had zero emotion was my financial planner. And okay. they are the people that in the, the structure. So in terms of like a corporate retail structure, it's obviously a little bit different at every company, but there's a designer then there's a buyer and then there's a, a planner and then an allocator. And the allocator is the one that is figuring out where the products are going, what stores, how much inventory per store location. The planner is the one that works extremely closely with the buyer. And they are the ones that are saying, this is your data. You, The buyer knows the plan, the financial plans inside and out. The planner is the one really crunching the numbers and really putting it on paper and saying to the buyer, "You can here's your open to buy. And this is how much you can spend. And the buyer says, but I'm obsessed with, this yeah. line. You need to put a little more money in this bucket and more inventory there. You know, that's where it's like the push and pull. So the buyers are kind of the in-between. They are a little bit of emotion and a little, and a lot of the financial, I would say it's kind of an in-between. So that's a lengthy yeah. answer, but I think that it's important to understand that that's how big retail operates as you're scaling and bringing roles onto your team. If you're a really emotional person, maybe you want to bring a, and I know I say emotional, I mean about your business. If you're really tied to that, maybe you bring a financial person in, you know, yeah. as you yeah. scale. But yeah. for me, I would say I have less emotion tied to it because I'm not bringing the ideas to life. But now that it's my own budget, I have a little bit more emotion because everything, every dollar I'm spending is my own dollar. And so yeah. I really, sometimes I sometimes have to say, okay, go back to the editing, you are a little bit emotionally tied to this. And maybe this product category isn't really working for you. Like maybe you need to get rid of, I don't know, fill in the blank, the puzzles, all the puzzles that you bought, like they're really cute, but they're not selling. I know that's a dumb example, yeah. but sometimes I get tied to things still. So, yeah. So what's interesting then thinking about, I've never thought about it this way. So the majority of people listening probably do all of those three things. Mm -hmm. Yep. You I know, mean, just like I do in my design, business, <laughs> you know, and it maybe if you don't make, like, I don't make my sweaters. Okay. But you decide you want to have sweaters yes. in your store. So you get to start that design process of what your brand looks like. Then mm -hmm. you're buying, you're allocating money. You're also telling the product where to go and what should happen to it when it comes. So 
if you tend to find that you're really heavy on that emotional side of like, but I just love it. And I go to market and I don't know what happens. <laughs> then you have to put tools in place that can be the planner for you or be yep. the allocator for you systems, tools, if you can't afford the people, or it doesn't make sense to have extra people. Right. So we have yep. to balance that. Yeah. So and we can learn to edit yeah. And this is exactly where the numbers, this is like my lengthy way of answering your question, but I felt like I had to give that backstory. This is where the numbers come into play and they, this is where the numbers tell you to take emotion out. And if you are being honest with yourself and you're looking at your business and you're taking the best practices that you teach of having like money date with dates with yourself and looking at your business every week, you see in your data okay, this is working. This is not working. And what, where it becomes really powerful is understanding not only, okay, I have too much inventory overall, or this product itself isn't selling, but starting to connect the dots between the things that are working and the things that aren't working. And also the things that are kind of middle of the road, when you start to kind of generalize those and say, what are some of the attributes that aren't working? you start to see, oh, okay, I have six different choices and they all have this one element that crosses over. They could be totally different products, but have a common thread. And then that starts to give you some guardrails or some like a framework whenever you're trying to edit yourself and you're looking at future seasons and you can say, I just came off of my spring season or my summer season. And consistently those two seasons um, bell sleeves, <laughs> I don't know, bell sleeves are not working in dresses, in tops and whatever. I'm not going to fall in love with this new bell sleeve that I see because it's a sleeve problem. You start to see where the data can inform your decisions for future collections. And it helps you to, to take the emotion out of it a little bit. Yep. It's not saying you can't care deeply about the product that you're bringing in or you're designing, but if you're designing a collection, you can, you know, have some things that you're like, okay, I know that these three things have worked consistently. So I'm going to have a bestseller that fits into that bucket. And it's a little more data driven versus yeah. emotion driven. Yeah. And we could use that for other things, for editing other things like opportunities, people, yeah. roles, locations, marketing yeah. initiatives. Yeah. So oh, how thanks. do we get good at saying no? I just like, do you have any thoughts for us on developing that skill? I have one thing, but I want to see if what you have to say, mm. like, how do we, how do we learn to be the person who can still care about our business, but look scientifically at it and come from an objective point of view? I feel like this, I mean, this is an easier said than done thing, but I feel like at the end of the day, the way you get good at it is by doing it and seeing results. So by taking baby steps and saying, okay, I'm going to cut out this thing or this task, or maybe this role needs to be eliminated or reshaped. Um, when you start doing it, it's uncomfortable and it does not feel good. It might feel like a complete disaster. (laughs) Like you're just like, ruining your business. Or here's another thing. It might be a dollar sign that you're seeing going away from your business. This is a big thing. Like when I work with clients and we talk about how to find profit, when you look at those bottom feeders, whether it's a product bottom feeder, or it's something that has a 
imbalance of workload versus return on that investment. Like your time Mm -hmm. is your money. So all the different ways of looking at it, when you eliminate something that you're like, well, if I eliminate this whole category or this whole product type, that represents 10% of my sales. And that can feel really scary because that could be really huge. One of the clients I worked with was a multi-million dollar business. And it was like 11% of her sales was this bucket that I was like, but this is not making you any money. And look how many SKUs this is. And think about how the impact that is on your team. And she got rid of it and her sales actually grew by 15%. And that is something that consistently can happen when you free yourself up, whether it's your brain space, whether it's your product offering, that money actually comes back to you and grows. Yeah. So you just have to do it. (laughs) yeah I and I wish I had a really good answer for you you know I think it's I think it's really getting comfortable with being able to see that your numbers are telling you that it's okay so you trust the more you have those money conversations with yourself or with you know you as your their coach like you start to feel more confident in the numbers so you can trust your data versus like, I'm just going to say goodbye to this on a whim and say a hope and a prayer. And like, let's see what happens. I mean, that's maybe a little part of it, but you can feel a little more confident. So I think it's, I think it's looking at what is, what are the things that need to go away and what are the opportunities that could come with it being gone? And then start small. Yeah. Start small. I heard this statement once. I love it. Um, I think it applies a little bit here do you want to be successful or do you want to be right? So like mm. when you're arguing with arguing with someone, you want to win an argument or you want your viewpoint. Do I want to be right here? Like, well, I won or do I want to yeah. be successful? Do I want the long-term yeah. relationship? And, and I think the same in our business, do we want to, you know, stay on, die on this hill? Like, but I know, and there's people and I make money now. And, or do I want to be six, like truly successful, free up my time, free up my resources, and lean into more profitability. Cause I'm guessing that client you worked with not only grew her sales, but probably grew profitability as well. Yes. Because she, that those low, low, you know, hanging sales that she had were probably not very profitable sales. They were eating a lot of time. It was a big distraction. So she freed that up, grew her sales and then grew profitability as well. Yeah. And there's also like a non or an intangible component to it that you can't quite identify or you can't quite, uh, quantify. That's what I was looking for. You know, it's the, the people that have to touch something, like how many times does, does that item have to be touched? Yeah. You know, whether that's physically or that's like getting the product up on the website or, you know, all the different places you might sell or putting it out on the floor. Um, it's, there are these just like things that are a little bit harder to quantify. And when you start to think, okay, by getting rid of this, this actually frees my team up, this frees myself up, you know, all the things that start to be eliminated to allow you to do the things that actually are going to be more profit driving for your business. So you're, you're able to, to work on those bigger new initiatives that maybe you can't free yourself up to do now because you're spending the time working on the thing that you're like really dying on the hill for, like you said. (laughs) Yeah. Pounding your head against the wall, trying to get something to work. Went over here if we just put some more attention to it. So I feel like in business, this happens a lot. We're pretty streamlined in our concept, our product, you know, um, 
assortment, whatever it might look like, our revenue streams when we start out and then sales dip down and then we add complexity because we're chasing sales. And then we add more complexity because that didn't work. And now we're, so we're doing all this stuff. What are some like warning signs if we feel like things are getting a little out of control? Like my sales are down, I'm doing more work, my profit's down. Like what are some things we should be aware of just to check ourselves, we you know, before we get so far down the road with complexity in our business. I think complexity is the core root of so many problems <laughs> in our businesses because without those checks and balances, you you can quickly start to add things, especially it's like that shiny object syndrome. It's like, yeah. oh, well, well, I want to add, work. That this might work. might work. Yeah, it's it, so that happens with your inventory because you're just like buying without a plan. Um, or designing into you know something without a plan, it can also happen with like adding apps on your Shopify. Um, it, yeah, it, there's so many different things that it can add to. It can be your marketing strategies, all the things. So I think the first thing is like an energy check with yourself, and because because you in your gut you always know if something is starting to spiral out of control without looking at a single number, anything. You just know if things are feeling like they're spiraling. So it's kind of that energy check for yourself. If you sit down and you think, okay, I feel like this is completely, my business is controlling me, yeah. not the other way around. Like that is when you have to say, okay, something needs to change here. And that could mean that your business just needs more help. And maybe you've kind of stretched yourself so far and you need to bring in more support to be able to sustain the growth. Sometimes that's all it is, but yeah. On the other hand, a lot of times it could be a combination, but on the other hand, a lot of times it's really, you know, how much you have going on in your business that just creates noise. And that can translate, like the customer can feel that, yes. you know, they can see when they come that into your store. feeling. Frantic feeling. Like if your staff is frantic because they're feeling your energy or you walk into the store and there's like a lot of collections going on, a lot of color palettes, or it's stuffed to the brim, or, you know, it's, it's just not an, a good environment to walk into. Like customers can sense that they also can sense it on your website. If yeah. your marketing starts to not be consistent or clear, like that's whenever you want your customers to know, like to trust you and kind of know what journey you're taking them on. And yeah. if like one day you're talking about this, the next day you're talking about that. They're like, well, do you sell party hats or do you sell sweaters? Like, I don't know what's happening here. Yeah. Like, <laughs> so I think the first thing is the check, check in with yourself and then just take that, take that look back. I mean, if you have not done the exercise of just like brain dumping all the things that you have going on by bucket in your business, like and when I say bucket, I mean like your marketing thing, like your marketing bucket. What are all the things you have going on there? Your collection, how many collections do you have coming in? Like just top line, write things down and just brain dump it and stand back and look at it and think, can, do I have the capacity to maintain this? Or am I going yeah. down a really bad spiral? Because oftentimes when you look, when you step back and look at it, you'll see the progress you've made and you'll see some glaring mistakes or opportunities, sometimes both yeah. <laughs> um, in your business that you can kind of quickly rectify or just hone in on your efforts on a few of those things. Yeah. So I think what you're saying is 
pay attention consistently, like how you're feeling, what the energy is like in the business and for those around you, and then schedule some quarterly check-ins too, Yeah, where you just take the time to sit down and say, okay, what happened last quarter? What worked? What didn't work? Let's talk about why. Let me think about, you know, what's getting a little out of control because then we're proactive instead of reactive constantly. Like yeah. this isn't working now that's not working. And I remember, um, I don't know if you've ever taken a Colby test, but they, <laughs> I'm a quick start. So there's four different ways that you work in different environments. Anyway, I'm really, really high. Like the highest you can get on a quick start, meaning like I can bounce back and come up with a new idea, like every two minutes, which is great. Cause I'm pretty optimistic, but it can be very disturbing to team people mm-hmm. if mm-hmm. Um, I didn't realize that about myself. And I didn't used to know that. And so whenever something didn't work, I was like, okay, now we're going to do this. We're going to put this on sale. We're going to read. And one day one of my team members was like, Sierra, you literally told us to do all this. And now you're saying to switch gears and do all of this. Could we like finish something first, <laughs> you know? And so just taking that check of like, why am I frantically running around trying to make everything work? If you're feeling that stop, take a moment and then schedule intentionally so that you can get ahead of that before it becomes a disease in the business. Yeah. I think that it's extremely important. I have quarterly hindsight dates with myself where I revisit my goals for the year, what's coming up, like just kind of general direction and set this, like reset the strategy. But the hands down, the biggest thing is just looking at how did the last few months feel? Because we are driving the ship in many cases, doing all the things, or you have a small but mighty team. And if you're not being intentional about pausing and looking that looking at what you're coming off of, you you're just going to continue those same those same habits. It's really great that you had somebody on your team that was Brave enough. confident enough to yeah, yeah to say to you like hey you literally just told me this and now you're telling me this like what is it and you might not have the answer but it's good to have the that opportunity to pause and yeah. kind of reset um i think what's important so i know that test i have not taken that test i am more into like human design and uh-huh. kind of understanding all of those things i'm learning more about it but it's a, it's a similar thing. I think what's important is how you funnel those new ideas. So yes. what's your process when they come to you? Do you have a place where you can put all your new ideas down on paper and not start like chasing the shiny object, like, you know, all over the place and executing or implementing, I should say, because that's when you start to feel like your business spirals and it becomes really complex and complicated and if you never finish anything, if you cut the legs out from something before it's had an opportunity, you might never know if that one big strategy idea that you had in the shower actually is yeah, going to work because actually, you yeah. let it live its full potential. So I think it's it goes back to like how many objectives do you have in your business every quarter and then breaking that down into the month? And are you giving each objective, it's full length of time. So I like to take an objective and say, I need this to, I need to give this 30 days, or I need to give this six months, or this might need to have a year because it's, you know, I don't have the audience for that yet. So I need to be like working towards it. How, what's the length of the goals and the items on your, your wish list, so that you can hold yourself accountable to letting them go all the way through to execution. Now that's obviously different if you're if you're trying to move through inventory on the spot 
in real time, that's like a different scenario. But for those big objectives that usually are the ones that make your business really complex, the more you can look future forward and set boundaries around the timing that will help you to say, okay, I had this next big cool idea, but I'm only halfway through my last next big cool idea. And so let me do this first. And then the next available time that I have to start that, then I will, or this actually is such a big opportunity. Let me bring somebody on the team to execute that for me. Like you could say, this is, this is going to move the needle in my business. I can't sit on this for three more months. Like let's take action. But I, in order to do that, I need to shift the money around, shift the profit around to be able to maybe, maybe you pay yourself a little less to be able to fund that. If that's the thing that you really want, you start to have the numbers tie back to that. Yeah. So good. Well, this conversation was really helpful. I think everyone listening, I mean, I know I got some good takeaways, whether you are feeling like your inventory is getting more, you know, too complicated, your price points, your team, your initiatives, your marketing. I think these principles can be applied, learning to edit, learning to say no to opportunities. Um, The right thing at the wrong time is the wrong thing. And I think it's really good for us to remember that things sometimes present themselves as like, this is it. But if it's the timing's not right, just learning to take some time, you know, have those internal checks in place, schedule some external checks as well. All of that is so helpful. So where can people connect with you and just learn more about what you do and how you can help them in the buying process? Yes. Okay. Well, just come find me on Instagram, Kristen Fisher coaching. I will send you the link for that. Or you can come hang out with me every week on my podcast, the buyer side chat officially relaunched today, but yeah, come hang out with me on Instagram. I am building this, building this business up. I have a lot of resources for people. So they're all linked, linked there for you and we'll just connect. I'm so excited. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. And we'll put everything in the show notes. So if you guys are driving or walking while you're listening, you can grab everything in the show notes later. No need to pull over and write it down. We'll make it super convenient. We'll email it out as well. Thanks for taking the time to hang out with us for a second hour um, here on the Inventory Genius Podcast. It was really awesome to chat. Thank you so much. All right, everyone. And thank you for tuning into the Inventory Genius Podcast today. Um, If you haven't had a chance yet, head on over to the website, sierrastockland.com and grab your copy of the Inventory Genius book. Um, Look at all the other resources we have available. And this episode will also be in blog form over on our blog on the sierrastockland.com page. So um, however you want to digest this information, I would love to invite you to do so. I'll see you all next week. Bye for now. Hey friend, thank you so much for tuning in today to the Inventory Genius Podcast. If there's something that you heard today on the podcast episode and you wanna dig deeper into becoming an inventory genius yourself, I wanna invite you to head on over to my website, sierrastockland.com, where I have multiple ways that you and I can work together on your inventory. I wanna help you with your profit, your cash flow, and your paycheck, because at the end of the day, it's all related to your inventory. So head on over to the website, connect with me, I'll work with you soon. See you then. Hey there, friend. So I've already invited you to grab your copy of the Inventory Genius book. But if you're ready to go a step further and dive in, if you want a quick start to becoming an Inventory Genius, then I want to also invite you to grab your seat and the Quick Start to Inventory Genius course. This really easy to digest course is going to include all the tools, 
spreadsheets, and systems you need to implement the Inventory Genius Method immediately in your business. We'll talk about creating an open to buy plan. We'll talk about creating a profit plan. We'll talk about creating a business budget. And then we cap it all off with a private one-on-one -on -one call, you and me. Yep, that's right. The Quick Start to Inventory Genius course includes a one-on-one -on -one coaching call with me. So you can go through the book, you can go through the Quick Start to Inventory Genius course, you can write down your questions, and then you and I can get on the phone and problem solve together. Head on over to sierrastockland.com, grab your seat at the Quick Start to Inventory Genius course. See you there.